we live obviously in very confusing times. Um, and, um, you know, for somebody really to understand what is happening, uh, in many ways, it's very difficult. You see, uh, we all know what's happening in terms of the United States, um, in terms of uh, Trump, in terms of, you know, the uh, opposition to him, the, in terms of the, uh, the Biden uh, election and so on the whole concept of the, what Trump claims to be the fraudulent elections. Um, I mean, the truth is that the United States is really in tremendous turmoil. And it's not just the United States. The Israel has just announced, of course, that they are having a fourth round of elections, uh, which, of course, indicates that Israel is in the same turmoil as everybody else. And, of course, there's the COVID, which is a, a enormously disrupting you know, the flow of civilization. The question is, how do we understand this from a Torah perspective uh, or from a Hashkofer perspective? That is the question. Is it possible? And of course the answer is yes, because everything can be understood from the perspective of the divine agenda. We know that. Uh, the question, of course, is what is the divine agenda? And how does it explain really what is happening. So what I'd like to talk tonight is what I think is going on, what the divine agenda is, especially in today's time, and to show you that all of this really makes eminent sense based on the requirements and the uh, recommendations or the necessities of the divine agenda itself. And I'm going to try to explain uh, a great deal of ideas uh, and especially when you, you begin to ask yourself that what doesn't really make sense is if things were proceeding in a way which I have been saying for years actually the whole concept of the messianic process uh, proceeding moving forward then why does everything look as if it stopped or interrupted or whatever you want to call it what is happening and what possibly will happen so that's what I want to talk about tonight. In order to understand really uh, what is happening, you know, you always have to go back to the Chumash. And the Chumash really, of course, is, has everything in it. And there are many Sukkim verses that state what is happening, but of course in a very cryptic way. So what I'd like to do is go back to the Chumash and try to see can we figure out the nature of the events happening based on certain parashiyas, certain sections of the Torah? And the answer, I think, will be, of course, is yes. So what I'd like to do is go to the parasha that I think reveals a great deal. And that is a parasha that we are all familiar with. It's Vayera, parasha Vayera. It's at the end, and it's all, the, it's all about the Akedah. The Akedah, of course, is the binding of Yitzchak on the altar. And of course, Avraham Avinu, we know, was commanded by God to sacrifice, to slaughter Yitzchak. This is one of the pivotal ideas, of course, <clears throat> in, uh, in Yom Kippur, <clears throat> where, like I say, Avraham Avinu is commanded to slaughter Yitzchak, 
in deference to the commandment of God. Now, there are, certain, there are many things to be understood, obviously, about the Akedah, but I want to focus in on really three questions. And what I want to try to demonstrate is that these three questions really answer, to a great extent, what is happening today. So we begin to see that the Akedah, the story of the Akedah, has universal implications. First question. <clears throat> we know that Avram Avinu had ten tests. And this was the last, the Akedah, to sacrifice his son Yitzchak because God apparently had commanded him to do so. This was the last test. Now, of course, we know that he passed all the tests. Avram Avinu passed every single test. The question is, <clears throat> other than the fact that this test obviously wants to test the loyalty, the extraordinary loyalty that Avram Avinu has toward the command of God, which he, of course, would have to demonstrate by sacrificing Yitzchak. The question is, we know, it's the, we, we know it's the last test. Why this test? You see, what is the meaning that the, the form of this last test has to do uh, with sacrificing Yitzchak? Now, of course, we know that that never happened because the Malach told him that God, of course, does not want you to do it. And therefore, Yitzchak, of course, was freed. But is there, any, is there any idea that we can fathom as to the real understanding or the profound understanding of why this test, the last test of Avram Avinu, has to be in this form? So that's one question. Second question is, it says there, <clears throat> right, it says that, um, <clears throat> and Avram Avinu, after the Malach told him that you cannot kill Yitzchak, it says that he looked around and he saw there was an idol, a ram, that was stuck, that was entangled in the bushes. And the Torah goes on to tell us that it was entangled, not just in the bushes with his body or his legs, but it was entangled the of with his horns. Why is that important? Just say Nisbach was by, by, uh, that he was entangled, uh, you know, the, the ram was entangled, his body, whatever. Uh, what difference does it make how he was entangled? The Karnov with his horns. Then the last question I want to ask is it says, it says that Avram Avinu was looking around and he saw an aisle, as I said, a ram. And it says that he offered up the ram, the oilo, as a, as a uh, sacrifice, right? A burnt offering, right? Tachas uh, benoi. Instead of his son, he offered up this ram as an oilo, as a complete burnt offering, you see. Now, what you, we would imagine what it just simply should have said, and he offered up this ram as an oilo, as a burnt offering. Why did it say tachas benoi? Instead of a son. You know, it's obvious, it's obvious that it's instead of a son. And why is that important? Why is this phrase, instead of a son, important? Tachas benoi. And as we will see from the answer, these questions reveal extraordinary secrets of the end of time. What does that mean? Uh, as we will see, that this test of Avram Avinu, 
which was the last test, really is the situation of the Jews at the end of time. And Avraham Avinu, in many ways, is supposed to have an input into this. And therefore, he is giving a test which models itself after the situation of the Jews at the end of time. That's what we're going to see. Now, this is one parsha. Now, we find also a certain chazal. And that chazal also reveals a tremendous depth in terms of what is going to happen really at the end of time. Now, it says in the Sechta Sanhedrin that Aim ben Dovid bore that the Mashiach ben Dovid does not come Ella bedor, a generation that is either kulum chayom, they're all sinful, and therefore they're all obligated, you know, they're all culpable or guilty, or kulum zakoim, or they're all guiltless, I should say, or innocent, or they're all righteous. So that chazal tells us something very important, that the situation of the end, of the end of time, is going to be a situation where the Jews are either all sinning, so they're all chayom, they're all guilty, and they're all culpable of guilt, of sin, or it's going to be filled with tzaddikim. You see. Now let's examine that, because that chazal tells us many profound ideas. First of all, it tells us that, like I said, that the situation that the Mashiach comes is going to be one of two types. The Jews, Jews will be in one of two situations, like I say. Either they will be all righteous. Now, what does that mean? That means the overwhelming majority of Jews will be righteous. They will do mitzvahs, or, and if they sin, they will do tshuva. They will repent, you see. Or it could also indicate that this generation, right, the majority of Jews will be righteous, even if not all of them. But their righteousness will consist of that even if they sin, not only will they do mitzvahs, but even if they sin, right, they will do tshuva. They will repent. And there will be suffering, but uh, in order to, you know, to uh, uh, atone for the sins, you know, whatever that they don't uh, do tshuva for or repent for. But that will be very minor. So that's the kulam zakoim, all righteous. And then we have the kulam chayovim. They will all be sinners, guilty, culpable of sinning. You see, what a contrast between the situation of Jews before the Mashiach comes. So the Mashiach can come either in situation A, which is Zakoim, they're all righteous, or they're all chachayom, or they're all guilty of sinning. That would mean that it's a terrible situation, you see. And in these, one of these two situations, the Mashiach will come. Now, the question is, of course, what does that really exactly mean? What does it mean that Kulm Chayovim? We understand what Kulm Zakoim is, but what does Kulm Chayovim mean? What does that mean, really? Okay. Well, what it means is, is this. It tells us what type of a world we will be in when the Mashiach comes. Chayovim. What that means is basically two very basic ideas. One, you see, is that 
the world will have reached Memtes Shari Tumah, the 49 levels of defilement, Tumah, sinning, you see. That's what Chayot mean, and that's why everybody basically is sinning, because the world's environment is an environment of Memtes, the 49 levels of defilement. Now, there are 50 levels of defilement, okay? Um, and to reach the 49th level is exceedingly dangerous, because if you go into the 50th level, whatever that is, of Tumah, of defilement, you cannot be redeemed. And we are going to learn this from Egypt. That in Egypt also the Jews, as Chazal tell us, were at the 49th level of Tumor, of defilement, you see. And therefore, had they slipped into 50th, then God would not have redeemed them. So that's clearly, obviously, a very dangerous place to be, you see. Now, what does it mean that 49 levels of Tumor it means that the environment is such, the societies that exist at that time is such that there's an enormous amount of, as we will see, immorality and many other things which I will mention, you see. But we will be right at the level or the gate of the 50th level of Tumor. And that is a crisis of terrible proportions because what that means is that tikkun is not possible. I mean, if everybody is sinning, if this is a generation where we are at the 49th level of tomb of defilement, right, then what tikkun, what rectification can the Jews be doing, you see? In fact, in that type of generation, Judaism itself is going to disappear or is on the brink of disappearing. Not Jews, but Judaism, you see. That, it, it, as I say, is at the brink of completely vanishing, disappearing in that type of situation. And like I said, that is a terrible crisis because at that point in time, Tikkun will have stopped. To rectify the creation by doing the will of God will have stopped, which obviously is very bad. And the worst thing is that it can very easily lead to the nun. Shai Tomah, uh, the 50th gate of defilement, and then redemption at that level is not possible. Well, first of all, what does it mean that the, the environment will be at the 50th level of, uh, or the 49th level of defilement? Well, first of all, materialism. The world will be completely steeped in materialism. That's basically what it's all about, not spirituality see, or religion, but materialism. Then there will be a great deal of atheism where many people just don't even believe in God or in any spiritual type of force. Pleasure, taiva, will be rampant. The main goals of mankind will be to pursue pleasure, you see. That will be the main goals. Not only that, but we'll have immorality. Tremendous amount of what's called zimo, immorality or sexual promiscuity, you see, or and, and so on. But besides that, there was, the world will be in a very immoral place. Besides that, there will be sexual perversions. It's what's called mishkab zochah. Tremendous amount of, like I say, perversions, homosexuality, and so on. To such an extent where 
it, it's possible for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. You see, those are tremendous perversions of the natural order. And that will be a tremendous degree of immorality. And that's what will happen. But the morality at that time will not just be the immorality, but it will be legitimatized. It will be acceptable as a social norm, you see. And it will pervade society in all forms of educational material, you see. And an accepted value among the peoples of the world. This is what it means to be in the 49th level of Tumah. Guess what? As we see from America, it's exactly where we are. You see, in many ways you can compare the world to Sodom and Amira. Sodom and Gomorrah, as they say, you see. And these things were rampant in that society. Now, besides that, besides the environment of tremendous amount of Tumah, in that environment, since it says Kulm Chayom, the Jews will be in a situation where there will be a tremendous amount of sinning. In fact, of the approximately 14 million Jews today, basically 11 million Jews are gone. There's no mitzvah observance. There's no learning Torah, you see. They're gone. You know, how many times have I gone, let's say, to a city to speak or whatever? Many times. And I would ask, how many Jews are in this city? And they tell me, well, there are 80,000 Jews in this city. But only 2,000 Jews are observant. Can you imagine? 80,000 Jews are gone. And 2,000 Jews are observant. And this statistic was repeated to me time and time again. When I would go to different cities. What does that tell you? And this was years ago. Today, I'm afraid to ask. But imagine 11 million Jews out of 14 million, or perhaps even 12 million. They're gone, totally gone, you see. And not only that, they say the statistics now is that 7 out of 10 uh, Jews are intermarried. Their spouses are not Jewish. You see, that is a horrendous statistic. How long can the Jews survive with that type of statistic? You see, and then you have the assimilation. There are so many Jews that just live among the non-Jews, you know, and they, many of them don't even know they're Jewish. They certainly know any, any kind of observance of mitzvahs, right, commandments and Torah and so on. And then even of those Jews that are not assimilated, many of them are unaffiliated. They have nothing to do with any kind of Jewish organization. They've never been to Israel, you see. Uh, they certainly are not affiliated with any type of shul or synagogue, you see. So when you think about that, 11 million out of 14 million, for instance, that's 80% of the Jewish people have disappeared or are in the act of disappearing. So therefore, we are looking at Kurum Chayovim. That's basically that the Jews are basically sinning, you see, most of them. So in many ways... We understand what the Chazal tell us, that the generation before Mashiach comes will be a generation of which most of the Jews will be gone, disappear. And not only that, but the environment will be a terrible environment, you, you see. Uh, and we, we already know that the, the, there's no MS, there's no truth to Sheker 
is enormous amount of untruth, lies, distortions in the entire world. I'm not even going into countries that clearly illustrate this type of lifestyle. You, you, you see, the whole world is sheker, is filled with lies and distortions, untruths, and, and so on, you know. Uh, I'm not even talking about the media that is so much fake news, you know, and even in America. Look what goes on in America in terms of what the truth is um, and how they represent the truth. So this is what the Chazal tell us. Therefore, what they're saying is something which is really very interesting. It's that the Mashiach will come to one of these two types of generations. Now, we therefore are in the generation of Kulum Chayovim, where most Jews are sinners in that sense, that they really have nothing to do with Judaism. You see, now that is a, an emergency generation crisis because there's no teaching going on. But the real danger is that this generation will slip into the Nun, into the 50th generation, or rather the 50th level of Tumor, of defilement. That's the real problem. And as we can see, in Egypt there was the exact problem that the Jews in the time of Egypt, Mitzrayim, were in danger of slipping into the 50th. Now, therefore, what this means is the following. Avram Avinu was given this last test, as we will see, to tell, to tell him that in the end of time, the Jews will be Chayav Misa, in the sense that they're not going to make it. You know, they'll be subject to the death penalty or annihilation. And therefore you, to demonstrate that, you need to bring Yitzchak on the altar and sacrifice him. Because that's what it's going to be in the end of time. You see, just like Yitzchak has to be sacrificed, the Jewish people at the end of time will also be Chayav, ab obligated to be sacrificed, they will be annihilated. And we'll certainly see that with a medrash that I'm going to quote. Okay? Therefore, this is the last test of Avram Avinu, the Akjida, to illustrate that this will be the situation in the end of time of the Jewish people before the Mashiach comes. Therefore, it's a crisis. So therefore, Amalach now tells Avram that you could take Yitzchak off. Yitzchak is redeemed. Wow. He survives. But wait a minute. You can't just survive, right? And leave behind the reasons for your annihilation. There has to be a substitute. There has to be what's called a tachas benoi. And that's why it says, right? And Avram Avinu looked around for an oilah, right? And he brought it on the altar because he had taken Yitzchak off. And he sacrificed it instead of his son. In other words, that was the condition. The reason why you could take Yitzchak off the altar and not sacrifice him is because you have supplanted him. You have substituted him with a substitute, instead of Yitzchak, there's something else. Which tells us that if there was no aisle, if there was no ram that Avram Avinu could have used instead of Yitzchak, then Yitzchak will have to remain on the altar and be sacrificed. 
It's only because there was a tachas benoi, a substitute for Yitzchak, that he could be redeemed, you see. And therefore, this substitute, that would be annihilated. Now, that is a very profound understanding of what occurred, why the Akedah was the last test, and what enables Yitzchak to be redeemed. There has to be a tachas benoi. So even though we see a situation that the Jewish people can survive, there's something has to happen, you see, that will substitute and allow the Jews to survive. Now what that means is the following, that God, in order to do this, and therefore to stop the, the slaughter of Yitzchak, you see, or in order to stop the Jews from slipping into the 50th, in which case they cannot be redeemed, and they would just simply be annihilated, you see, God has to take what's called emergency measures, emergency actions that have to be taken. And I'm going to outline to you the six emergency measures that God has to take in order for the Jews to be redeemed, in order for Yitzchak to be taken off the altar. I'm going to try to illustrate to you the six measures that are the measures of Tachas Benoi. Instead of Yitzchak, there's something else that can supplant Yitzchak. And you will see that these measures are the exact measures that are happening today. Because in many ways, we are at the end of time. And the Mashiach is about to come. The problem is, like I said, is Kulum Chayovim. We live in a generation where everybody's chayev, where the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people have disappeared, or they are in the act of disappearing. You know, don't be fooled by the fact that you may live in neighborhoods where there are many Jewish people that do mitzvahs, you know, and so on. You know, the many uh, places, you know, uh, in America, uh, whether it be Borough Park or Flatbush or Lakewood and so on, Williamsburg, or Muncie, or in Eretz Israel, Yerushalayim and so on. Most Jews are basically gone. You know, maybe you're lucky if a Jew is traditional. You know, but basically the overwhelming majority of Jewish people are gone. They sin. So therefore, God has to do something which is called Tachis Benoi. Instead of Isaac Yitzchak, instead of the Jews being annihilated, he has to exercise tremendous amount of emergency actions. And the question then is, what are they? So let's take a look. One, in order to make sure that the Jews can be redeemed, right, and they won't slip into a level where redemption is not possible, the Rebbeim has to start, believe it or not, the messianic process. Because if he waits, there won't be a messianic process. There's nobody to redeem. You see? Because the Jews have slipped into the lowest level, and therefore they are no longer worthy of being redeemed. Therefore what God wants to do is he wants to start the actual messianic process in order to slow or to block the descent, the descent of the Jews into the lowest level, which is remarkable, you see. So that's the first thing that God has to do. The second thing is that God wants to diminish the culpability or the guilt of the Jews as they sin, even in this generation. 
That's a very important idea that God wants to diminish the culpability, like I say, the guilt that the Jews have, even though they sin. You see? And then how does he do that? By creating a terrible situation of ignorance and darkness. Well, there's not much religion, you see, as I will point out and explain. It's tremendously dark today. We live in a society which is incredibly confusing. Everybody's trying to pander their belief, their values, you see. And we live in, in societies the world over and all kinds of ideologies that say that they are the truth. So after a while, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what is the MS. What is the right way to live, you see? Because everybody's got their version of how to live correctly. That's tremendous chishach, or darkness. And we live in a world that there are so many variations, so many alternatives, competition of what is the proper lifestyle. I would just go to any library or read any magazine, and everybody's espousing different lifestyles. And after a while, you walk away and say, I don't know, what is the real lifestyle? What is the purpose of the world? What is the purpose of creation? You see? Is there a God? What does God want? And so on. You know, maybe formerly life was so simple, you know. What is good and what is bad was so clear. Today, that itself is subject to an enormous amount of debate. What does it mean to be good? What demonstrates goodness? What does it mean to be bad? What demonstrates bad and evil? There are so many people out there that believe that evil is good, or they think that what they want to do, which is really evil, is good, right? And, and there's so many things that if you want to do good, the people say, no, that's an evil. There's an unbelievable of confusion out there, you see. That's all part of the incredible darkness that we live, live, live in, you see. And God increases that darkness. Why? Because then a person can have what's called an insanity play. Or this time, you can call it an ignorance play. Where a person can say to God, well, what do you want from me? You know, everything is so incredibly confusing. Why am I guilty of anything? And on the contrary, that will minimize or diminish his guilt if he does sin. So God does want to introduce that to help the Jews that do sin. Third thing, Tachas Benoi. The third idea that God has to bring a substitute in order to redeem the Jews is he has to increase the suffering to satisfy justice, you see. And the suffering, of course, acts as a major uh, vehicle for kapora, a major vehicle in order that a person should be able to atone for his sins. So suffering at a tremendously heightened level is required to satisfy justice. Another idea, fourth idea, is God needs certain people. They are called the suivle chiloim, those who bear sicknesses, that they will accept upon themselves part of the suffering of the Jewish people, which, by the way, is allowed. Since Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people, is really one, it is possible for somebody to atone by suffering for the rest of the Jewish people, yes. But obviously you have to be a tremendous neshama, 
a very great neshama. And these people that suffer for the sake of the Jewish people, to accept some of the suffering, they are called the Sivli Chardoyim. You see, and there are many of them. Moshe Rabbeinu is one of them. By being buried outside of Eretz Yisrael, his neshama is denied a tremendous amount of holiness that it would be subject to. But it's not in order that when the neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu suffers, the Jews have a tremendous atonement. And that's by the way he's buried outside Eretz Yisrael. That illustrates to demonstrate the suffering that he has accepted upon himself for the Jews to be able to survive. Besides him, the next ones who are the greatest are the Mashiachim. Mashiach ben Yosef, as I will demonstrate, and Mashiach ben David. They also suffered, suffered for the Jewish people. That's called the Yisurim Mashiach, you see, in order to help the Jews survive. And throughout the generations, there are many tzaddikim, really great men, who suffer. And the suffering that they go through isn't for their own sins. In fact, one of the requirements is that you cannot suffer because of your own sins. You have to be really free of suffering for any sin that you did. You did it, you didn't do any sins. Only those type of people can suffer for others, for the Jewish people. So God needs them to accept part of the suffering that the Jews would have to accept, and therefore they can survive. Then you have, besides them, you have Mrs. Sadiqam. Many times a tzaddik, he will die young, or he will have tremendous problems, uh, you know, of a personal nature, and so on. And that is also in order to help bring a kapara to the Jewish people. As we learn that a Mrs. Sadiq, that when a righteous person dies, in some way that alleviates the culpability of the Jewish people. That's called the Mises Sadikam, you see. And then another Tachas Pinoy strategy is that evil has to succeed, not only to increase darkness, but in order to provide a bribe, which I mentioned last time in my Shia, to the Sultan. Because the Sultan does not want any of this, basically. Certainly, that a Mashiach, uh, there should, a messianic process should ensue. Doesn't want that, obviously. But when God says, okay, I'm going to allow your people to succeed, all the evil people to succeed, so the Sultan then reasons to himself, this is fine. I gave the previous year about that. Okay, because I'm hoping that these people will make the Jews go into the 50th level of Tumor, and therefore they will not be redeemed at all. You see, in any case, that's it. Those are the six different types of emergency measures that God takes when the Jews are in a situation which is the Memteshari Tumor, the 49th level of evil, and they are immersed in that environment. And they themselves, the overwhelming majority, have nothing to do with Judaism. And they are just simply disappearing. These are the six measures, as I mentioned. Okay. Now, let's take a look. <clears throat> the Kulam Zakoim. When did that happen? When all Jews were righteous? Well, the truth is that really happened on Purim. All the Jews fasted for three days which is Tainus Esther, right? And because of that, the Jewish people as a whole reached a tremendous level 
of holiness and purity, you see. And therefore, that sakoyim was so great that really Mashiach bin Yosef should have come then. Who was the Mashiach bin Yosef in that generation? It was Ezra HaSoifer. Ezra, he's a coin. He really was a candidate of Mesheresh and Mashiach bin Yosef. And had he come back with the entire Jewish people, then he would have been Mashiach bin Yosef. And the way you see that is because it says, Roy Torah, that the Torah was, uh, should have been, could have been given to Ezra HaSoifer, not to Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Ezra HaSoifer also was a Shurish, a root of the Messianic soul. Specifically, Mashiach bin Yosef, even though he was a Kohen, which I once mentioned, and so on. And therefore, the Jews almost came to the time of the Messianic era. But the problem was that only 70,000 Jews returned with Ezra, and therefore, the Messianic era never happened. But that was a time that was Kulum Zakoim, you see. Now, what about Kulum Chayyob? When most of, the, when the, the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people are sinners, which is also, as I mentioned, when Mashiach comes, okay? Well, you had basically three times that that happened. The first time was the Mabal, where the world had reached the level of the 49th level of Tumor. Right? And we know that. So, therefore, because of that, at that time, the world was in danger of reaching the 50th level. So what God, and what God did is he pressed the restart button at that time, which means that the marble killed everybody on the planet, with the exception of Noach, his sons, and their wives, and, and so on, you see? And that was a time again that God had to take emergency measures in order for the world to survive. The second time that it happened, which I will get into later, was Egypt, Mitzrayim. Chazal tell us, the rabbis tell us, that at the time of Egypt, you see, at the time of Egypt, the Jews had reached the 49th level of Tumor, of defilement, and they were in danger of slipping into the 50th. And that is why the Rebarsham, as we will see, began the messianic process. Moshe you see. And Moshe of course, was the Mashiach, or the greatest, he was a candidate of the Mashiach, actually. So that was the second time we find that God took emergency measures, which I will explain at the time of Egypt. The third time, which I believe is now, is the world as we are now that the environment of the world is the 49th level of defilement. That's the, that's the world we live in. In fact, we're so immersed in that, we don't even realize how bad things are in terms of its enormous contrast and opposition to real spirituality and holiness and righteousness. That's how inured we have become, you see. And therefore, I believe, as we will see, that God also has taken emergency measures. What is that? That he has begun the messianic process with the election of Donald Trump as a Toif Shebe'isov. Because in this generation, the way to begin the messianic era is the good part of Esav now changing and helping the Jewish people. You see, 
So let me go back to some of the ideas, which is the emergency steps that God takes. And what we now begin to understand is that the reason why the messianic process can begin is because we are so close to the end in terms of sinning into the 50th level of Tumah. That's why. And that is one of the ways that the Mashiach comes. Because it's a crisis. And if we slip into the 50th, that's it. It's over with. So therefore, that itself, in a certain sense, forces God to end the entire era, era of civilization by bringing the Mashiach. You see. Now, <clears throat> one of the ways I mentioned is what's called the Sovli Chiloim. Those people that accept the sufferings in order to alleviate the guilt of the Jewish people. And one of the greatest of these people is called Mashiach ben Yosef. And I will mention Yalka Shemoni in Sefer Yeshayahu, okay, in, in section 499. Uh, it talks about the Mashiach ben Yosef. It, there it calls the Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben Ephraim. It's Yalka Shemoni. And here's what it says, that in the beginning of time, God spoke to the Mashiach ben Yosef, or that Nishama, that would, would be the Mashiach ben Yosef. He says, this is the Medrash, and said to him that in the future, your people will be chayav, will be obligated, clear destruction. Yes, the Jews will have to die. They will have to be annihilated. This is what God tells the Mashiach ben Yosef. Now, does he mean all the Jewish people? No. But he means a sufficient amount where it's incredibly tragic news. So the Mashiach ben Yosef says to him, this is part of the Medrash, that wait a minute, then what I will do is I will accept upon myself, this is what he says, a tremendous amount of suffering to help alleviate the suffering or the sins of the Jews. Because the problem is, is that the sins of the Jewish people will be so numerous, right, that they cannot expiate the sins in a given lifetime, you see. So therefore they will have to be annihilated. Because there is no time sufficient to expiate their sins. So the Mashiach ben Yosef says, okay, then I will accept upon myself the, the uh, suffering of all Jews who live at my time and all Jews who ever lived. Can you imagine what he's accepting? I will accept upon myself the suffering and that will help alleviate their kapara or create their atonement. <clears throat> so God says, fine, because that's what God needs. Somebody to help alleviate and to partake of that suffering, to remove the annihilation decree against the Jews. So God places, the Medrash says, a tremendous iron yoke. An iron yoke that they put on top of oxen. And that iron yoke represents the suffering that the Jews would have to have to expiate their sins. You see. And it says that the Mashiach ben Yosef bends because the weight is unbelievable. And he starts screaming and he says, I can't bear this. I'm only a human flesh and blood. I can't possibly bear this type of iniquity to resolve or take suffering for this iniquity of the Jewish people. 
So God says, yes, but you promised. So God says, together with you, I also, God says, my divine presence will go into the Golis, the exile with the Jews. So then the Mashiach ben Yosef says, okay, if you also will accept upon yourself this suffering of the Shechina, it's called Shechint Begalusa, the divine presence itself is in Golis, without getting into that, then I will also accept it. So therefore you see several very important ideas that God says that in the end of time, the Jews will have to be annihilated. That's what he says. And that is the Kulm Chayovim, because they are all guilty of death, because most of the Jews are gone. Based on the measure, measuring stick of, of God. That's the first thing we see. And the second thing we see is that the Mashiach Ben Yosef is one of the people that accepts their suffering. You see. Now, in what ways does the Mashiach Ben Yosef suffer? Well, we know it says at the end of the Torah when Moshe Rabbeinu blesses each Shevet, he says, the firstborn of his ox, he's blessing the tribe of Yosef. And he says, the firstborn of his ox, Hodoloi, beauty is his. Okay. Vikani Reim Kanov. And the horns of this ox is not the horns of an ox which is short and, and strong. It is the horns of a Reim which has magnificent horns. If you ever look at a, uh, some deers or goats, how their horns are shaped. Beautiful in its, uh, uh, beautiful in its shape and pattern. Okay. That's the horns of this ox. Not the horns of an ox, but the horns of Ra'im. And that's it. then it says in the Pasuk, in the end, right? And with these horns, he will go the nations. That is the weapons of the Mashiach ben Yosef to bring about an incredible change. And now the question, of course, is what does that mean? Obviously, it's a metaphor. So here's what it means. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Bechor Shoiroi, the firstborn of his ox, the firstborn of the ox of Yosef. Right? Who is that? That's the Mashiach ben Yosef. Hodoloi. He's beautiful. He's magnificent to look at. How? You see? Vekani Reim Kanov. In other words, the horns of this ox, right? It's not the horns of an ox. It's the horns of a Reim. Beautiful horns. The way they shape and configure. What does that mean? Because what are horns? Horns are weapons. And they emanate from the head of the ox or the animal. The same idea. The weapons of the Mashiach ben Yosef also emanates from his head. What weapons are that? Are they? That's chokhmah, wisdom. Incredible wisdom. That's beautiful to look at. And it is with this wisdom that the Mashiach ben Yosef is going to go the nations. What kind of wisdom is that? That is the messianic light. The Orhagonus, the messianic light, the hidden light, the Or Mashiach, or the Orishan, the first light. That's really what it is. So with that light, with that chokhmah, with that wisdom, incredible ideas, that is how he's going to convince the world, Right? that it's all spiritual, everything is connected to and emanates from God. That is the essential task of the Mashiach, you see. 
But when the Mashiach accepted suffering, he accepted it with his horns, you see, to be suspended, to be blocked, you see. And that's what the suffering of the Mashiach ben Yosef is. Is that here's a guy that has unbelievable spiritual potential, incredible chokhmah wisdom, and there is no way that he can express that chokhmah. It is blocked, concealed, and that is unbelievably painful. And now you understand what it says in the Akedah, that, uh, that Avraham Avin looked around and he saw an isle, a ram, and that ram is symbolic of the Mashiach ben Yosef. And then it says that ram was entangled in a bush, of with its horns. That ram is symbolic of the Mashiach ben Yosef. And what is entangled, what is blocked? Its horns, which is the Chochmah, you see? And therefore, that isle, which is the Mashiach ben Yosef, that was placed on the Mizbeach, the altar that Yitzchak was removed from, and he is sacrificing himself for the betterment, for the kapara of Klai Yisrael, you see. So that isle really refers to the Mashiach ben Yosef, you see, and suffers by the inability of expressing his unbelievable righteousness and his unbelievable chokhmah. So that is the first thing that is tachas benoi, it's a substitute for the, uh, the uh, Yitzchak, in order for Yitzchak to be freed. You see. Uh, now, so that's one idea, which I mentioned. One action that God has to take. A second action, in order for the Jews not to descend into the 50th, because it's Kolum Chayom, right? God has to begin the Messianic process. You see. So the Jews don't descend, and they can actually have the Messianic process, even though the majority of the Jewish people are gone. What is this? Well, in today's time, right, we see that the Messianic process starts with Edoim, Esav, doing tshuva, you see. Uh, so when it says, Rav Yavoy Tzoyer, that the older will uh, serve the younger, right, that's Esav, will be a brother to Yaakov, and he will serve Yaakov. You see, I had mentioned uh, that this in many ways is what Trump doing. That's the Toiv Shebeisav that is now seeking to help the Jewish people. And we see that. Look what he's done. We know that when Esav does tshuva, Esav says to Yaakov, let that which is yours be yours. And Rashi says uh, that Esav said that the blessings which I, uh, uh, you know, that you took from Yitzchak, they are yours. You can take them. You can keep them. That's the tshuva of Esav, you see? And that is what Trump has done. Trump has made Jerusalem the capital. Automatically, it means that Israel isn't the Jewish people are entitled to the state of Israel. He has moved the embassy to Israel. He has now said the Golan is now Israel. He's taken away any violation of international law in the territories. Look what he's done. He's restoring the, Jew, the land of Israel to the Jewish people. That's number one. This is messianic. Second idea is take a look what's happening. While he's under such terrible persecutions, Look what he's doing with the Arabs. You have one Arab after the other that want to ally themselves, right, with the Jewish people. 
right? We have the UAE, United Arab Emirates, we have Bahrain, we have Sudan, now we have Morocco, right? And we have other countries that are lining up <coughs> to ally themselves with the Jewish people. This is the truth of, of, of Yishmael. And who, who's the one who's responsible for that? Obviously, the one who's responsible for that is Trump, of course, which he gets absolutely no credit for. But this is all messianic. This never happened before, you see. Now, besides of that, we have another action that God takes. What is that? And that is the diminishment, to diminish their culpability, and therefore to allow them to survive. That's something else that God takes in order to allow the Jews, like I say, to survive. And how? Because he increases tremendously the darkness. So the Jews complete ignorance. Well, we didn't know. Look how dark out there is. Look how it is out there. Look how much ignorance there is out there. You know, And that, that diminishes, that lowers the culpability of the Jewish people. And he does that also by allowing evil to increase. <coughs> because people who are evil will increase the darkness. And that is one of the reasons why it's so difficult to get rid of uh, the Rashi base of, the evil part of Esau, which is basically the establishment, you see, in Washington, and the media, Democratic Party, and so on. Because they increase evil, lies, untruths enormously, and that is incredibly, that tremendously confusing. That's also one of the reasons why the era of Rav, those Jews that want to destroy the bond that a Jew has with the Torah, okay, the Jewish nation has with the Torah, that's why it's so hard to get rid of them. Because what they do is by increasing the darkness, the chishich in the land of Israel and wherever they are, right, they enormously diminish the light, the truth. And therefore, people who sin and now have diminished amount of guilt. That's why it's so difficult to remove the air of Rav. And that also explains another concept where the Gemara Sanhedrin says, there are many Amoroim that said in the Gemara, they say, let the Mashiach come, but I don't want to see it. For instance, Rabbi Yechanan. What were they afraid of? Why would anybody say, that let the Mashiach come, but I don't want to see it? And the answer is because they, were, they knew that the Mashiach is going to come in a time when the Jews are Chayobim. Right at the Memtes, the level, the 49th level of, the, of defilement. And one of the ways that God has to save the Jews is by allowing enormous amount of darkness and ignorance, amaratsis, to increase among the Jewish people. That's called Mirt Or, the diminishment of light. And they cannot stand that. A tzaddik cannot stand the diminishment of spirituality, righteousness, justice, and the light of the Torah. They can't do that. And they knew that the way that the Mashiach ben Yosef is going to come is through, right? Is through the Tachas Benoi to save the Jews, which is the increase of darkness. So they will have a, some type of a plea to remove a lot of the guilt that they have because they could say, I didn't know, you see? And that's one of the reasons why as the generations goes on, there's no tzaddikim left. There are hardly any gedolim left. You don't see the amount of gedolim that we used to see in Europe and before that. You take a look at America or Eretz Israel. How many real gedolim are there now? 
Hardly any. Again, because that's the diminishment or the increase of evil and darkness. And that's also another reason why you see in this generation of, or this, this world, uh, year of COVID, why so many Jews have died, but not only the regular Jewish people, you know, but so many Jews, Sadiqim, righteous people, Kedushim, holy Rebbes, Rosh Hashivas, B'nai Torah, why so many of them have died? Because that's part of the diminishment, or I should say the increase tremendously of darkness, you see. So therefore the Jews have a claim as being, in a certain sense, not as guilty, you see. This is all going on because the Mashiach is coming, not because we deserve it now, because the Tikkun is complete, it's because we are all Chayovim. That's why Mashiach, in order to make sure we don't descend into the 50th, therefore these things must happen. Then we have another idea called suffering. Uh, you see, and that is for the atonement itself. That's why there are so many COVID deaths. There are so many deaths from COVID. And not only that, there's pachat mavis. There's a fear of a death of COVID, which itself is a kapora, you see. And then there's social instabilities, social disruptions. All of this is frightening, incredibly anxiety-provoking. And then there are the lockdowns, the economic poverty, I mean, yeah, people that are tremendously suffering in terms of <coughs> poverty. They don't have enough money to live, to eat, or whatever. You see, and how many uh, businesses will never reopen? And then there's the loss of liberty, and so on. <coughs> All of this is tremendous suffering. But it's interesting, not just to the Jewish people. It's also to the entire world. Why? Because when the Mashiach will come, it's not only the Jews will benefit, which are the main beneficiaries, but the ones who will benefit enormously are the non-Jews, the Goyim, because it will be the Messianic era. And the Messianic era is an era of unparalleled success, light, you see, health. Every, every good thing you can imagine will be in the Messianic era. And they too must deserve it. So the suffering also encompasses them also. <coughs> you see. Then I men mentioned also, you see, that um, the increase of sin and the fact that evil is allowed to be successful, all those peoples that represent evil, is also to allow the sultan not to makatrek, not to prosecute, because he's hoping that if you allow all this evil to increase, that will destroy, or that will push the Jews into the 50th level of Tumah. So he says, it's okay. Even though on the other side, <coughs> it decreases the culpability of the Jews. You see, so we now understand. So let's take a look now. We know <coughs> that the model, that the model of the redemption is what happened in Egypt. As it says, he inequality as from Achis Koreshis, behold, that the last redemption, which is now, will be like the first, which is Egypt. And there, Chazal explicitly tells us uh, that the Jews were in the Memtes, were in the 49th level of evil. And again, there you are, Kurum Chayom. The problem then is that they're going to slip into the 50th, right? And they cannot be redeemed. And all the Jews basically in Egypt worship idols. Therefore, the Bosham said, I have to send the Mashiach now so they don't descend into the 50th. And therefore, by the Sneh, 
which is the burning bush, he appointed designated Moshe Rabbeinu to go, right, in order to stop their descent, uh, he actually brought the Mashiach to the Jewish people, even though they're Kulum Chayobim. <coughs> you see. And therefore, but wait a minute, you can't just redeem the Jews. Tachas Benoi. There has to be a substitute that will enable Yitzchak to get off the altar. There has to be something that will enable the Jews to do what? To be redeemed. You see, because it's Kulm Chayotin. And the answer is straw. That Paroi decreed, not only will I defy you, he says, who is God, that I have to listen. But I will, not only that, but I will show you that they're my slaves. And not only do I not have to redeem them, but they're even my slaves. And I will intensify the slavery, right? By saying that not only do they have to uh, build bricks with straw, but they actually have to gather the straw at night. Which is terrible because that means they couldn't even sleep. So that decree of straw enormously intensified the slavery and the suffering of the Jewish people. And that was part of the decree, of course, of suffering uh, that would enable Moshe Rabbeinu to really be the Mashiach, you see. And then, of course, God redeemed them, the Makas, you see. And, of course, as a result of that, uh, that was the Tachas Benoi, is the decree of straw, and that was what got the Jews out of Egypt. Now, just like what happened in Egypt, it will happen today that the Mashiach will come in a generation of Kulm Chayyabim. And like I said, that's why many Amaroim, Rabbi Yochanan and so on, that's why they said, we don't want to be there. Why? Because we know that the Tachas Benoi, the substitute for the redemption, is going to be unbelievable darkness in order to remove the culpability of the Jewish people. We cannot live in such a generation. You see. Uh, and therefore, that's exactly what's happening now. That's why even though God has begun the messianic process with an individual like Trump, the Tev Shebeisav, you see, he has also instituted all the other strategies, which is collectively called Tachas Benoi, those things that have to substitute or have to be in place in order for Yitzchak to leave, in order for the Jews to be redeemed by the Mashiach, with God's sense, right? Not Mashiach literally, but the messianic process, right? He wants to do what? He wants to institute many things which I've gone through, and so on. The darkness and the uh, suffering increases, and, and the diminishment, the uh, increase of evil, uh, and uh, allow evil doers to, evil doers to e increase, and so on. So therefore, this is what we're seeing. This, therefore, we see is a messianic interruption. That even though God is bringing the Mashiach, he's stopping it. Why? Because the reason why he's bringing the Mashiach isn't because the Jews deserve the Mashiach. It's because they're about to falter and fall into the 50th gate. Of what? Of defilement. That's why he's bringing the Mashiach. Just like the same idea in Egypt, you see. But in order to bring the Mashiach, then you must have a Tachas Benoi. You have to have a substitute that will remove all the other problems that the Jews have because they are in the 49th level of defilement. And that's why it seems as if the whole Messianic process, everything that Trump has done, has stopped. And he himself is about to be evicted from the presidency. You see... It will be very interesting to see what happens. Now, there are signs that hopefully 
it will end in a good way. First of all, God has allowed many vaccines, not just one, but many. So apparently, he seems to have, what he seems to be doing is he wants to remove the suffering brought about by COVID, not only for the Jewish people, but for the entire world. And that's a good sign, because he could have had only one organization discovering a vaccine, but he didn't. There are at least two now, and I hear even in England there's a third, and there are many others in line, you see. So there's going to be many, many vaccines out there. So God wants to really end the whole uh, plague, if you want to use that word, of COVID. So that's a very good thing. Second very good thing, which indicates that the Tachas Pinoy may be ending, is the Arabs, where many Arab nations want to line up and make peace with Israel as allies, you see. So that itself is the beginning of the end of what's called the clip of Yishmael, that the Arabs and Muslims themselves are now aligning themselves with the Jewish people. Uh, another very good thing, right, to remove the air of Rav, there's an individual, his name is Gideon Sa, who I hope we become prime minister. I've been saying this for several years already. Uh, predicting it and so on uh, and that is that he has now gone into his own party and he's now running to be prime minister and I believe that if he will be prime minister which I believe he will he will stop the heir of Rav and he will terminate the power of the heir of Rav to destroy the Jewish people and to keep them incredibly ignorant you see another very good thing is Israel's rise amongst the nations I mean, Israel used to be looked at as a pariah nation. Uh, now everybody realizes Israel is not a pariah nation. <coughs> Israel is not even a normal nation. It is a super nation. That's what people realize. This nation of 9 million people is beyond belief. This cannot be explained with a normal course of history. This is divine. A nation should be so gifted and should be so forward in so many fields of endeavor is incredible. You see, and what I have, only 9 million people? That itself is messianic. And I'm hoping, of course, that Trump is going to do something where he will regain the presidency. You see. And I'd just like to make one comment before I end this year, and it's my personal opinion. Trump has to do something I don't think he understands, and I wish I could tell him what is that. Trump took an oath of office. That oath of office, okay, has tremendous amount of uh, weight to it. What was the oath? The greatest oath of office is that he will defend the Constitution. The Constitution is the entire basis of the rule of law in the United States. If you remove that, that's the end of the law and order. It's the end of the rule of law. And he took an oath to defend the Constitution. And we all know, clearly, I'm not even going into the fraudulent elections, but we all know that states have violated the Constitution. And not only have they violated the Constitution, okay, uh, but they have violated their own state constitutions. Uh, therefore, he's enjoined by his own oath to defend the Constitution. And I believe what that means is he has to be what he is, the commander-in-chief. He is legally empowered 
not only by the Insurrection Act, but by, I think it's an executive order in 2018, that he will defend the Constitution against all enemies, whether foreign or domestic. If he believes that the elections is a fraud, and he believes that, with all the evidence that he has gathered and so on, then he has the moral right, and he must impound every Dominion machine and count it to see if it's fraudulent. He has to, what he called, he has to also um, audit every vote and disqualify all the illegal votes. He has to do that. He doesn't understand. He has no choice, you know, because he took an oath to defend the Constitution. And if he believes that the Constitution has been violated, then he must do it. He has no choice. He keeps talking about the Supreme Court having courage. Excuse me, where's your courage? You took an oath of office that you have to defend the Constitution. Once you break the law, it's over with. Then everybody will make a mockery of the Constitution. So what are you talking about? About the Supreme Court and the courts having? They've already, uh, what do you call it? Uh, they're, all, they're all basically traitors to the Constitution because they're going to sit by and allow this to happen. There are four victims of this. One, Trump. He's the first victim of the fraudulent elections. Uh, the second victim is that 74 million people that voted for him, they have been disenfranchised, right, from the, from the, uh, the, from the, uh, the their votes, have been disenfranchised. The next victims are the other Democrats, because there are many Democrats, they don't want to win this way, they want a fair election, you see? I don't know how many there are, but there are. Not everybody is a, is a, you know, is a, uh, a thug, you know, people who are dishonest and so on. But there are many Democratic voters that realize, what kind of business is this? There's hanky-panky going on here. We don't want this. You know, if we win, we want it to be fair and right, uh, a fair and open election. And you know who's the, the fourth victim? People don't realize the entire world is a victim. Why? Uh, because God needs a nation that represents justice and righteousness. Yes, uh, he needs a model. And the model always was the United States. And now that America comes across like Venezuela, like a banana republic, could you imagine what the mockery is? Ah, America, don't tell us what to do. You yourself have violated your own laws. You see, America is making a mockery of what America used to stand for, you see. Uh, so even the world is the victim of what is happening now. Uh, listen, you know, what's the big deal? Why can't the courts or the Congress or whatever say, listen, <clears throat> we cannot allow 74 million people to say that Biden is an illegitimate president. It's in the United States. So what we are going to do, let's find out if he is legitimate. We'll make sure that six states have to have an election, right? Again, whatever. We're going to all, we could, let's count, let's impound the Dominion machines, right? Let's take a look at all the votes that are legal or illegal. Just do it. How long will it take? Two, three days? What's the big deal? But at least everybody will know that if Biden won, then he truly won. Nobody's going to argue with that. You see, this is what they have to do. Why don't they want to do it? Why do they want to make sure that 74 million people will look at Biden as a crook? Which, by the way, he is. 
Take a look what his son did, Hunter, and that he was on the take with China. I'm not even going into Biden, what he is and so on, you know. But well, why don't they do this? They have to do it for, to defend the honor of the United States and the legitimacy of the United States uh, as a just and true nation, you see, that follows the rule of law. What's the big deal? How long would it take? A couple of days with no mail-in ballots? Of course, but they don't want to do it. Why? Because they're all a bunch of crooks. They are dishonest people. That's why. Uh, think about that. What is the big deal? Because they don't care. And what they do is threaten the reputation of the United States. They threaten the legitimacy of any president uh, of Biden and so on, right? They deny Trump his victory, you see? And more than that, this is not just this election. That means nobody respects the Constitution anymore. They have set a precedent that the Constitution can be broken and violated without any consequences. You see? That's the end of the reputation of America. How can any American tolerate that, you see? So the whole Congress, if they were honest, truly honest, right, and, uh, and upright, uh, they would demand all of these, the impound the machines, have uh, ordered the, the, the votes, or have them vote all over again, just those six, uh, per, uh, the six states. Think about that. What I'm saying is, you know, this is not, you have to be a genius to say this. Uh, you see, this is logical, but they don't want to do it because that's the evil that America is turning into. You see, you want, to, you want to have an election? Prove or make sure that the election itself was open, fair, and honest, and just. Don't do this because you endanger the future of America. Because if this happens again, it's over with. And not only that, there are states that may, I'm not saying they will, but they may secede from the union because nobody wants to be a socialist country. Nobody has the right to turn America from what it was for hundreds of years into a communist socialist country because that's what they think is important, their values, which is absurd, you see? So for the sake of America to continue, as it always has been, as a model for the entire world, which is what God wants, you see, they must deal with the crisis of the American elections. Certainly, that it should not be fraudulent. But certainly, it's not only fraudulence of the elections. They have to deal with the fact that states violated the Constitution of the United States, and they violated their own constitutions, the state constitutions, which is the rule of law and order. For their sake, let them be courageous and stand up for the truth, and they will be forever blessed by God. Let's hope that that's what happens, and I believe that if they do that, that America will restore and recapture its tremendous